Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Carrie Compton. This month, we're speaking with Kara Jones from the class of 1998 and her father, Farley Jones, of the class of 1965. A couple of years after graduating from Princeton, Farley was introduced by a friend to the work of the Reverend Sun Young Moon, who believed his teachings were meant to complete the work of Jesus on Earth. Soon, Farley became a member of Moon's Unification Church, one of several thousand so-called Moonies. Farley, who is now an elder within the church, writes about his experiences with the religion throughout his life in a new memoir called A Heart Made Whole. His second of five children, Kara, grew up deeply devoted to the Unification Church and was delighted when the Reverend Moon decided to match her to a husband at age 20. Her documentary, Blessed Child, now streaming on Amazon, is about how that marriage ultimately led to her disillusionment with the religion and the complicated family dynamics that came with her decision to separate from the church. Kara and I begin the conversation, and Farley joins us midway through. Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Carrie. It's really nice to be talking with you. Likewise. Kara, your film begins with the story of your wedding, which took place alongside hundreds of other couples, including your brother and his wife, who were also entering into marriages that were arranged by the Reverend Sun Young Moon. Your participation in this rite of passage was sort of the culmination of a life of devotion to the Unification Church. Talk about your life at that particular time. You were 20, so you were young, and you were a Princeton. How, how did that look from your perspective? Yeah, so uh, I was 20 years old. I had done my freshman year at Princeton, and I was very much uh, devoted to the faith at the time. The year before that, I had taken a leave of absence from Princeton. Hmm. So I had done my freshman year. I um, was very much approaching my education as uh, a path to do good in the world on behalf of the religion that I was raised in. And I was not into the party scene. I lived in like the all women's dorm 1915 hall. Hmm. <laughs> and... Um, and after my freshman year, there was this invitation uh, from my church to do a year of, of mission work. And so I, I spent that year in Chicago, you know, teaching the teachings of the church. And, um, and so I was very much in the mindset of uh, the religion I was raised in, which was that um, every person is a child of God and whoever you're matched to is yours to love. And if you struggle to love them, then that's part of the spiritual path of evolving mm -hmm. your, your heart to grow. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so at the end of that sort of mission year away, I uh, had been matched by River Moon uh, using eight by 10 photographs um, with mm -hmm. some personal information on the back and, and he had matched me and I got a call from my parents and found out who it was. I didn't know uh, him. Um, I knew of him. I had seen him. He was uh, somebody who um, whose family I was familiar with, but I didn't really know him. 
And um, so a month or so later, we stood in the Seoul Olympic Stadium with 10,000 couples and uh, committed to being married. Did your Princeton roommates know about your religion or was that something you kept secret or were you forthright about it? So I was open about it. I didn't wear it as a sign. Um, so I, I lived in an all-female dorm where everyone, I didn't have roommates, so they were oh, all okay. singles. But those of us in our, our like six-person single unit all got to know each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. And as I got to know people, I would share with them more about the faith and and the upcoming marriage. And I, I know that there was some concern uh, on behalf of my friends um, knowing that I was going into this, but they didn't mm. say much at the time. And when I came back, I was uh, a sophomore. So I slowly started telling people, again, and not leading with it, that I was actually married. Sure. Um, I didn't wear a ring. I, I didn't want to make such a big deal of it. But I remember the year after I was a resident advisor and mm. I had to sort of announce that I was married. And, and it was, it was a hard thing because, because it was so hard for most people to understand. I felt like I had to almost pretend that I was really in love. Like that when, when he would come to visit that I was really in love because people otherwise wouldn't understand why would you get married so young? Sure. And, and yet here was somebody that I didn't know that well, that, you know, I wasn't attracted to. And yet I felt like I had to kind of put on this front. So there was some deep conflict happening um, through my years at Princeton. And where did he live while you were at school? Uh, He was, uh, he was actually on his mission year. I see the year that we got back and, and he was a few hours away. Okay. So we would see each other, you know, every month or so, but um, obviously weren't living together or anything. Yeah. So eventually your marriage fails. And um, at least from the documentary, it seems as though the failure of that union was a significant turning point for you in the church. Um, Is that correct? And how so? Yeah, well, there was uh, a number of things happening at the time. Um, Yeah, I think I had grown up with the expectation that I was going to have an arranged marriage. I didn't drink, I didn't date all the time leading up to this. And if I'm honest, uh, if I was more honest with myself at the time, I think despite all the open-mindedness that I, that I brought to the table, there was expectation, right. That I would be able to fall in love with the person that I was matched to. And, and, uh, that somehow, I think I had a, a somewhat naive understanding of, you know, that it was all going to work out. <laughs> and mm-hmm. even if it was hard, like we would grow and it would be beautiful. And, 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 you know, this is a very wonderful person that I was matched to. Um, but that, that wasn't happening for me. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas before I could see myself um, following the path because, my family was in it and you know, all my friends were in it and, and I had some amazing experiences growing up in it all of a sudden, you know, not feeling like I loved this person 
or could. Um, yeah, it just, it made me start to look at things differently and, and question things. And at the same time that that was happening, uh, Reverend Moon and some of his family who I had looked up to, you know, some news was coming out about uh, one of his sons that I had looked up to, you know, having a drug problem, abusing his wife. And all of a sudden, this picture of this ideal family that I had built up in my head and my own ideal marriage filling in, falling into this picture, which is all very naive, um, started to crumble at the same time. Mm. So it was a bit of a perfect storm in that regard. Yeah, interesting. So at w what point do you formally walk away from the religion? Um, you know, when you're born into a religion, you don't like sign papers on the way in or on the <laughs> way out. Right? This is very true. <laughs> and so um, if I think, honestly, the making of the film was that right? a more official leaving for me. I mean, I, I left the marriage when I was 25, um, you know, at the same time of leaving the marriage, you know, which was why it was so painful to leave. It felt like divorcing, you know, my family and community at the same time. So that was wow. um, a very painful time in my life. Mm. And um. And so even though I left, there were ideas about myself and unresolved things with my parents that I held on to and kept sure. me tied in some ways to the past and, and to the faith in, in more ways than I was even conscious of. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until um, yeah, I was in my late 30s and feeling this sense that I really wanted to have a family. And for some reason, I couldn't seem to figure that out, um, mm. that it occurred to me that I had some unresolved business to look at. And mm -hmm. um, I was at Burning Man in 2012, um, trying mushrooms and ecstasy <laughs> in a very different world. <laughs> Uh, my dad is listening to this conversation. So this is, I don't know if he knows that part, but um, in a very different world than what I was raised in. And uh, as I was driving out, you know, among all these dusty cars, um, when my text reception or cell reception kicked in, I, I started getting these messages like, did you hear River Moon died? River Moon died. And oh, wow. Um, and interestingly, he had appeared in one of my mushroom trips. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just this uncanny occurrence. And yes, as soon as I got the news, I just felt this wave of now's the time to tell this story. Wow. And because uh, I had been thinking about it, but I didn't really have a reason to start doing anything. And when I got back from Burning Man, I talked to my parents and I found out that they were going to Korea for the funeral of Reverend Moon. Mm, yeah. And it felt like this decision point, if I'm actually going to make a film out of this, because I uh, had experience as a short filmmaker, uh, you know, in the five to seven minute range and uh, had had a sense that there might be a documentary to explore here. And when I found out they were going... I just felt like I needed to be there and commit to 
telling the story. And so I called uh, somebody who grew up in the church uh, as well, who had also left, who's a, a cinematographer. And I texted him, would you be willing to go to Korea tomorrow? Oh, wow. <laughs> or it was like within 48 hours or something like that. And he said yes. And, and then the film unfolded from there. Wow. So you've been making it since 2012. Yes. Seven yeah. years. So I wanted to clarify, I, I don't feel like, I mean, I left the church in my mid-20s, technically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I feel like there was ways that I was holding on to it. Mm. And that I, and so that it wasn't until Burning Man, not so much, it wasn't that at Burning Man, I decided to leave the church. It was at Burning Man that I decided to answer the call to tell the story. Oh, I see. And it was the telling of the story that helped me see the ways that I was holding on mm-hmm. and let go more fully. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, I just, I have to say, you answered one of my questions in there um, because I, I had planned to ask you whether the making of this film was cathartic. And the reason why I wanted to ask that was because you radiate catharsis throughout the entire story. So I definitely think you have succeeded in your mission there. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say about catharsis is because I do work with people around telling their stories and there is a cathartic element of getting the story out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, the, the healing part hasn't been so much about getting the story out. It still kind of makes me cringe. Honestly, too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's that I got to have a more honest relationship with my parents and, and with myself. Yeah. That's, that's the healing for me. Right. Um, this might be a good place to bring in Farley. Um, what do you think? Did you, did you get that same feeling of relief coming off of Kara? It must have been complicated for you watching the film. Well, yeah, it was complicated. Um, because this is not what, you know, my wife and I were early members of the church uh, mm-hmm. and um, were well known within the church and our family was well known and respected. And uh, this is not what was expected uh, from something sure. coming out of the Jones family, uh, given our history of the church. Uh, but I always felt this is something that Karen needed to do. Mm-hmm. And it was, as you said, uh, cathartic. Um, I think I would have seen, I think I did see it in terms of her need to work something through uh, in a process of healing what uh, her experience had been with the church and with her mm-hmm. marriage. So even though it was complicated and and we had, you know, honestly mixed feelings, I think both my wife and I felt like, okay, we're going to support this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we did. And we did. Right. And are any of Kara's siblings still in the church? Um, her older brother has, I would say, a degree of affiliation with it. His wife is Korean. 
Um, but other than him, uh, there's not much interest on the part of our children uh, right now. Our youngest son has some interest, but uh, there's no formal affiliation there. I see. So, Farley, was there anything you wanted to respond to? Um, well, I think I learned a little more about uh, the, uh, the pain of Kara's experience at Princeton. Uh, hmm. And uh, I didn't realize that it was actually coming. I knew she had been to Burning Man. I don't know how much I knew about the mushrooms. I might have known something, Kara. <laughs> uh, and I do remember you mentioned that, um, that you had seen Reverend Moon in, in one of those experiences. Uh, but I, I didn't know that that was really the time when you felt like you made the decision to step away from the church. I, I felt you had done that before, honestly. Uh, I thought that was pretty clear. But anyway, uh, other than that, I don't know. It was good to hear your questions, Carrie, and uh, Kara's answers. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also refreshing for me to – we're living in such a divided society as a nation. And so to talk, see two people who are close to each other being able to talk about something that is so meaningful to both of them – and for both parties to have such an accepting nature is really, you know, speaking of catharsis is very cathartic for me, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Farley, I want to talk about your book, uh, A Heart Made Whole. You describe your journey through life um, as an adherent of Reverend Moon's teaching. Broadly speaking, can you give our listeners an overview of what those beliefs are? So... <clears throat> Yeah, so Reverend Moon uh, comes out of a Presbyterian background. He had an experience with Jesus when he was, he says, he reports, I accept it, when he, when he was 16 years old. He felt called to, um, to his mission from that point. Uh, and he embarked on a spiritual search and ultimately produced a, a uh, systematic theology called the Divine Principle. Simply said, uh, the divine principle teaches that uh, God's intention in creation was to uh, create a, a world in which loving relationships uh, prevailed centrally between man and woman and parents and children within the family. It's a very family-centered theology. And from his point of view, that true family, which is one of the, you know, uh, well-used terms within within the church, mm -hmm. the true, true family, was to be established through the original parents, the, the biblical figures of Adam and Eve. That, that as uh, any Christian will tell you, uh, was not realized, or was the fall of man. Mm -hmm. So everyone understands then that Jesus came as the second Adam, and that he Jesus' mission was to take a bride in the position of a second Eve and establish mm -hmm. the true family that was meant to be established at the time of, of Genesis. Mm. Um, but because of the crucifixion, that could not be realized. So then Reverend Moon understands himself then as being anointed as a third Adam mm. uh, uh, in a position to establish a true family 
which would be the seed, the true family would be a seed of a true society, a true nation, a true world, the kingdom of God on earth. That, that's, okay. that's the vision. Uh, yeah. and, and that's the, the heart of the teaching, I think. Yeah. So in your book, um, you used some pretty bleak language to describe the kind of child that you were and um, a sort of sadness that followed you into young adulthood. Uh, speaking of your time at Princeton, you, I believe you described yourself as a, a lonely loner. And, yes. um, yeah. you know, not all loners are lonely. So I think that's an important distinction. Uh, but after you find the Reverend Moon's teachings, your language does decidedly become more optimistic and, and vibrant. W do you ever imagine what your life would have turned out without taking this path? And how is it different from the life that you've found? I, um, I mean, I think in my case, my encounter with the Divine Principle and the Unification Church and Reverend Moon has had a, uh, not to put too strong a term on it, but in my mind has had a salvific effect. I don't mm. think I would have had a happy, satisfying life mm. if I hadn't that, uh, if this hadn't come across my path. Um, I just don't think I had the internal uh, substance that I would have needed to make my life a happy and, and satisfactory one. Hmm. Yeah. So you became an adherent early, as you said, in the very late 60s. Um, but by the time of the 70s is sort of when there became a, an almost a urban legend around the so-called Moonies and, you know, children disappearing from families. And there was a lot of hyperbole and tabloid-like stuff. What did your family think about your choice to become part of this religion? Um, you know, we never had extended conversations uh, about that. Um, I know my mother was uncomfortable. Uh, she once thought that, uh, said something uh, that she thought Reverend Moon would, uh, for some reason, I don't know why, why she said that. <laughs> she thought it would, he would lead us or somebody into war. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I guess she saw him as a strong leader, which he was, and associated that with other dominant leaders, for example, Hitler. Well, mm -hmm. people thought of Reverend Moon in those terms in those mm. days. At least mm. some people did. Mm -hmm. uh, my father had, a, I think, a bigger view of it, and um, I think he was more concerned about the kind of life that I was going to lead, uh, given the sacrificial uh, kind of lifestyle that most members lead. He once said to me, I hope you're not going to end up living in some Bronx tenement. <laughs> uh, and, and you're speaking there of the, of the obligation to do mission work uh, unpaid, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, but that said, um, they never explicitly opposed what I was doing or tried to dissuade me from it. Hmm. However, my parents were very hands-off in the way they raised me. Hmm. So, you know, Farley, the, something that I, I come back to um, over the times that I've watched Kara's movie is that you, 
you are pretty forthright about the fact that there are some problems with the religion. There are some things that you wish would be reviewed, um, for instance, homosexuality. Um, but, you know, you say it, it's not perfect, but, the, but you can look at the journey and you can say to yourself, I, I am where I am today as a result of this, and that's kind of good enough for me. It's funny because Kara very much has got the same thing happening for her, except the religion part just isn't there, right? Right. How does that make you feel? Uh, well, no, it, it, my, my faith uh, worked for me. You know, it, it didn't work for Kara. Um, I accept that, you know, and, uh, you know, over the years, frankly, uh, one tends to be able to see things with more, um, in less black and white terms and be willing sure. to see more sh shades of gray. And, um, so I accept the, uh, the I accept, I, I, our church is not going to work for everybody. That, that's mm -hmm. for sure. And, and it doesn't need to, I think. Kara, uh, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. What do you think? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think um, that's been what my dad described was the journey of my own acceptance in the film. Mm-hmm. I think because we were such a close family. Um, because we were such a close family and the religion was part of that when I was younger. Mm -hmm. There was, long after I left the church, there was a sense that without that faith and me marrying someone in the church or having that connection that that we wouldn't be able to stay connected in the same way that it would never be as close um sure. and because i love my parents so much and and it did work for them yeah there was the sense that it should work for me <laughs> yeah. and uh some of the liberation for me and and telling this story was about that acceptance that actually understanding more deeply, it actually did work for them because I could, I also went through a phase of thinking, well, maybe my parents are just deluded. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I need to get them out. Hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so making the film and having these honors conversations helped me understand that, it actually did work for them and I don't want to take that away from them. Sure. And, and that doesn't mean that it has to work for me. And um, that doesn't mean that we can't find a deep relationship. Right. And I think what emerged for me in this making of the film and the numerous interviews that I did with my parents over time was uh, and honesty, at least on my side, I felt like I wasn't being 100% honest and or asking honest questions. And 
I feel like I grew in my ability to be more honest with them and that the relationship that we have now feels more honest to me uh, mm-hmm. and deep to me because of that honesty in a way that is not about the religion, but just about the relationship. Right. About being a family. Yeah. Which is what the whole religion is about. Funny enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kara and Farley, that is the end of my questions. I want to thank you both for being game for this and being so open and honest. Thank you, Carrie. Well, thank you, Carrie. I I thought you asked great questions, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast or listen to past episodes on Apple iTunes. Till next time.